Things to trust more than politicians. Cable company internet speeds. Stereo equipment out of a white van. Gas station sushi. Drinking water from Lake Erie. A weather forecast from Al Gore. Things you can trust. Well, let's start with someone immersed in the truth. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And to separate noise from reality, here's Dan Newman. I can't believe this, folks. We had all kind of stuff happen. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. We had equipment failure for just a split instant there, and I'm so sorry. Yeah, sometimes you can't plan for everything. You can try, you can do your best, and then uh, equipment, equipment. You know how it goes. Well, what a way to start the show today. Hi, how are you doing? I hope your week's going well. Four days until Christmas 2021. It just, I just can't believe how time flies. I remember distinctly when Marianne and I got married back in 1975, I remember distinctly thinking about, well, there's 25 years until the turn of the century. And I thought, my goodness, we got married when I was 21 years old. You know, 25 years, that's a long time. Oh my goodness, I'll be 46 years old when we leave this century and start a new one. And here we are, 21 years after that. Can you believe it? Boy, time flies. But I'm going to tell you what. We're enjoying life, and we're doing it together. Thank you for being a part of this. I don't think I thank you enough. Every day, you're telling people, about TNN Live and about Truth News Network, more and more people are coming here to get at least part of the truth. Now, we don't have everything. We don't have an exclusive. And I'm thankful that we don't have an exclusive for the truth. There's plenty of that to go around. And there are plenty of people that are out there looking for themselves and getting facts for themselves. There are news outlets that you can go to. This is not technically a news outlet. This outlet is more about, yes, it's it's news, but it's also about perspective, mine and yours. And on that note, please know this. We love to chat with you live on the air. Anytime you want to join this show, do it. We'll pay for your phone call no matter what part of the United States you're in. Um, it's easy. 1-866-37-TRUTH. That's 1-866-378-7884. Anytime you want to weigh in, ask a question, give us something else to think about, give us some information that we don't have here. Folks, if it's important to you, it means it's important to us. We're family, and we are so glad you made 
us part of your family. So where are we going to go today? What are we going to get into today? There are plenty of things to talk about, plenty of things that are important to talk about too. For starters, the president, that would be Joe Biden, by the way, um, he's going to address the nation this afternoon. And I pray that his teleprompter works. And I pray he's not going to get off script. Because if he does, he's going to embarrass himself, which he does pretty regularly. But here are the things that we are told he's going to talk to us about. He's set to deliver remarks just a couple hours after the CDC and the folks there, Anthony Fauci, yada, yada, yada. They've already announced that Omicron variant is now, drumroll, the dominant strain of the coronavirus in the U.S. As of yesterday, the Omicron variant makes up 73.2% of new infections. That's up from just 12.6% last week. Across the country, schools are beginning to shift to remote learning. Restaurants are closing their doors to the public. And events are once again being canceled as a result of the new Omicron variant. Broadway shows in New York City once again canceled. The Rockettes, their Christmas spectacular, not going to happen. Even the National Hockey League has announced that they're going to pause in their season. In the middle of all these new cases, senior administration officials said the president on Tuesday is going to announce three steps to build on his previously announced winter plan. They're going to include increased support for hospitals. Oh my goodness, those poor hospitals. Folks, if you know anybody that owns a piece, any kind of share of ownership in any hospital, ask them if you can see that hospital's financial statement for 2020. Folks, hospitals got filthy rich during this pandemic and the lockdowns. Oh, you didn't know that? Listen, one of the reasons that so many people that show up at an emergency room at a hospital and they're showing symptoms of COVID-19, if you even look like you might have COVID-19, they're going to diagnose you. And I'm I'm not saying that they'll do this every time or everyone in the ER will do this, but there's a whole lot of extra added benefits for that hospital for you to be tested and come back COVID positive, and for your symptoms to be such that, oh, your O2 levels are really, really low. We got to get you up back over 90. So we're going to keep you here maybe a day or two or three, and then you're diagnosed formally as COVID-19. What happens then? The federal government is paying for the care of those who get COVID. Did you know that? If you check into a hospital Taxpayers are going to take care of you, folks. And what does that mean? Those hospitals get a bump over the allowables that insurance companies provide in dollars and cents in reimbursement for the medical care given by doctors and others in facilities. How much more are they getting? Automatically, 16%, just for being diagnosed and admitted to a hospital. And then if they treat you with COVID-19 
treatment specifically designated for treating COVID-19 patients like the drug remdesivir, IV only, three-day three day dose. If you get a dose of remdesivir, it means you get three doses over three consecutive days, and they're $1,000 a dose. The hospital gets another 16% goodie above the normal rate. That's another reason why there is so much pressure to put noise out in the marketplace that tells everybody, Omicron's going to kill you. You're going to get busted. And we're going to keep you in the hospital for two or three days. And if they put you on a ventilator there, well, you got tested positive. You, it got sent into the hospital as a, uh, uh, inpatient patient. And you are getting remdesivir. If it gets your O2 level gets a little bit low, we're going to put you on a ventilator. They get another pop for doing that. If you ever wonder what's going on, what have we always told you? Follow the money. Follow the money. So the lockdowns are coming, folks. I don't care how much falsehood there is in the seriousness of this Omicron variant. There's too much at stake for the people that are at the top of this whole thing, the decision makers. They're going to paint the bleakest picture possible. And have you noticed, they never talk to you about deaths. They never want to talk about deaths, although they'll paint it Way up high, you know, the 10,000-foot level. Oh, we've had 600,000, 700,000 Americans have died from COVID. They don't give you any details. They don't tell you who it is that died. They don't tell you that in most cases, the very serious COVID-19 patients, the ones that do pass away with an official cause of death of COVID-19, have comorbidities. People that have severe, uh, their... um, They have heart problems. They have respiratory problems. Those are the people that are most prone to get really, really sick, and in many cases, they just don't make it. They don't give us those breakdowns, those demographics of these people. It doesn't fit. It doesn't feed into their purpose and their cause, whatever that is. And I don't have a clue. I've got suspicions, but I'm not going down the conspiracy hole. So in the middle of these surges in new cases, and there are new cases. Senior administration officials said the president today is going to announce his three steps to build that previously announced winter plan. As for increased support for hospitals, officials say the administration's going to ensure that states and hospitals have the personnel, the beds, and the supplies they need as they battle rising, horrible, evil Omicron cases. And a part of this effort, the president is set to direct Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin to mobilize a thousand members of the military. They're going to help out those overburdened hospitals in January and February in an effort to increase hospital capacity and to provide critical supplies and materials needed to get more hospital beds online. You know, those military members. Anybody can give an injection. I mean, roll up your roll up your uh, camo sleeves, buddy, and give this patient a shot. Just think about the insanity of this one thing that we just told you about. We're talking about a nation with 330 million people. 
And Biden's going to send, did you hear the number? 1,000. 1,000. You do the math. That means 20 guys per state. (laughs) 20 members of our military are going to make a difference nationwide. I get it. I get it. It has nothing to do with substance. It's just for the look. And these military guys, thousands of the military aren't vaccinated and they're sitting there unvaxxed and they're waiting to get uh, called into the front office of their commanding officer and get kicked to the curb. You just can't make this stuff up, folks. This is the absolute most ridiculous scenario that has ever played out at the government level in the United States. Never before. And of course, they're going to ramp up on all that equipment, you know, mask and more mask and more mask. And so the question comes up and it's asked in the White House press briefing room, um, what, what, what about all these tests that y'all are talking about? You're going to ramp up on, you're going to make testing free. You're ramping up with numbers, millions of more tests. And Yesterday, we saw pictures all day long of Washington, D.C. at testing centers all around the city. Now, it's kind of cold up there right now, but there were people at every testing center, including less than a block away from the White House, lines around the blocks trying to get tested, and they can't get tested. So I guess somebody told the president, hey, Mr. President, hey, Joe, Of course, you haven't walked down the street, but we do. What's the deal with all of the problems people are getting tested? They can't get in the the line soon enough, so they're, they're spending hours, literally people spending hours, and it's that way in other places, especially in our bigger cities around the nation, especially in red, no, blue governed states. There's no planning by this administration. There's no preparation for anything. It's knee-jerk after the fact, reaction after reaction after reaction. It's too late now, Joe. It's too late to try to come up with a plan for these testings. It's one thing to send the test out in a box, and it's another thing to have people there to administer the test. Who do you think's doing that? They're taking personnel from these medical facilities and he's going to give these medical facilities in all 50 states. The whole state gets 20 members of the military to help them out. (laughs) And there are dozens and dozens of hospitals across the nation. There is no planning. There is never any kind of putting ideas together and creating plans. We should have learned that when the supply chain issue was finally exposed. And when we found out how bad it was, Jen Psaki's asked a million questions in those press briefings about the Biden administration's preparations and plans to fix the supply chain problems that we have. Oh, Psaki responded, we are, we're all over that. In fact, we've been working on that since even before Biden took the oath of office, way back in January. 
Of course, she never gave us the plan, and you know why? There wasn't a plan. Today, folks, they still don't have a supply chain plan to end this thing. There is no management, none. You know, it's not just Joe Biden. We all need to understand this. We need to back away from the guy just a little bit. Yeah, he's the one that told us the buck stops with him. And in any enterprise, any business, it always stops somewhere at the top where somebody in charge is the one that makes all the decisions. That's the way it's supposed to be, right? Well, that's the way it is. Except you bring in a supporting cast underneath you because you know if you're a CEO of any big operation, uh, especially the United States of America, you don't know everything. You can't possibly deal one-on-one with every issue that comes before you on a daily basis. So you got to bring a real efficient, qualified cadre of managers at the first level that they either know it, whatever it is that's necessary, or they know where to go to get it or the other people necessary to get it done. Biden didn't do that. Do you know he's got a bunch of spoiled brats, even at his first level of management in the White House, and they are so far up the far left butt that the only thing they can think of is to attack anybody that has a differing opinion, attack them, put them in their place, including people like Jen Psaki. Yesterday, she walked out of a press briefing, got mad at a question she was asked. She folded up that big book she had. I'm sorry? I'm just being asked if we're on the air. It's registering here. Well, let's check. Let's do a pause here. We can do this. Oh, my goodness. When it rains, it pours. When it rains, it pours. How am I going to do this? Well, we'll just we'll just do this. Uh, 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 uh. I can't do it that way. It the problem is, I just was told we're not broadcasting. Although everything we have here shows that we are. Um. Okay, I just got a note. Thank you, James Posey. James Posey, one of our followers that's with us every day, just said we are broadcasting. So we'll go back to where we were with the White House staff. They don't know how to make decisions. They don't know how to get things done. And so when something doesn't go easy for them, it doesn't go their way, they just throw a tantrum. Ron Clayman, who's the... um, chief of staff of the Biden administration, of the White House. He just is a spoiled brat, and he doesn't bring anything to the table. When Joe Manchin put the word out that he was not going to support the Build Back Better debacle, Ron Clayman went absolutely nut. And everybody in his staff, in his Clayman staff, in the White House did the same thing. And instead of finding ways or thinking about, which is, this is what a good management team does. You think about a problem. You think about things not working. And instead of screaming and hollering and acting like a little bunch of uh, 
spoil brats or kids because you didn't get your way. Instead of that, why don't you do something smart? Get something done. Get something accomplished. So if you really think that Build Back Better bill is what the nation needs, why don't, novel idea, why don't you go sell it? Go sell it to Joe Manchin. Sit and listen to his concerns and find some way to get a consensus. If it's that good and you believe so much, you're in the tank all the way with this is what we got to do. Sell him on it. Instead of throwing shots at him, making fun of him, deriding him. You know, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez did yesterday. Here's a sample of a spoiled brat. I mean, it is it is unconscionable the way that the Senate operates. It's fundamentally undemocratic. And now what it's doing is that it is allowing the stripping of people's voting rights across the country. We are in a crisis. 19 states have passed over 33 laws to limit or restrict the right to vote in the United States of America. We are beyond the time for something to pass. And my concern is that even Manchin's compromise or the fact that he was making statements just this past week that he was just having conversations with the parliamentarian about voting rights that were illuminating. How has this not happened all year long? And so what we really need to do is crack down on the Senate, which operates like an old boys club that has a couple of gals in it that have managed to break through. And we need to actually institute some institution, we actually need to implement some institutional discipline. Now, when that decision to separate and to advance uh, the, the bipartisan infrastructure bill happened, some of us took umbrage with that. And uh, the president did say that uh, that the bipartisan, I mean, rather that the Build Back Better Act was promised um, and that, you know, he's got it. And we said, you know, with respect uh, to the president, he can't, no one uh, can really be, promise a, a mansion vote. Nobody can promise a mansion vote. Now, AOC missed on a lot of things in that little spat that she just let us listen to. A lot of things she said in it are absolutely opposite of what the reality of this all is. First of all, we don't live in a democracy. I would think a member, of, a sitting member of the United States House of Representatives, especially one from New York City, would know some history and know that the United States of America never has been a democracy. It is not today, and I pray that it doesn't become a democracy. Well, I thought we, we had a democratic government. Well, we do, but it's, an, it's a version of true democracy. You know what a true democracy is? In a true democracy, if we were a democratic country, every issue, every issue that comes up that the people need to approve, guess what? The people vote on every one of those issues. What do you mean, Dan? I mean, if you talk about a spending bill that has a thousand items in it, the people have to vote on that. If you live in a democracy, that's what a democracy is. One vote, one person on every issue. Obviously, our forefathers thought there's no way with the wide expanse of this continent that we know we're going to expand through the decades and centuries to come. 
it's going to stretch all the way across it. We can't structure it that way. So what did we do? What did they do? They made us a representative, and we're not even a representative democracy. We're a republic, a representative republic. Now, for one reason, maybe it would be better if we were a democracy. Why? Because we wouldn't need a Congress. We wouldn't need a president. We wouldn't need a vice president. We, the people, would definitely run the boat then, wouldn't we? But it was very prudent on their part to structure us that way and create this as a representative republic in which the people still decide we have a voice in every issue. We voice our feelings through those we elect to be our representatives in the United States Congress. When people that are in the government really look at it and work the system like it's structured to be, it goes smooth as silk. But when the people that have these offices there, like the one you just heard, when they get up on their high horses and they feel like they're not elected to represent the people, they're represented to take over the nation and run it themselves in total abandonment for the majority of the American people's opinions on every issue. What do we get then? We get what we have exactly as the way it is right now. Total chaos. Total lack of unity. Nobody in leadership in the U.S. Congress, nobody in leadership in the White House even tries to make this a consensus and come up with a way to make things work. People always say, oh my gosh, if we just had, if the Republican Party, if we just had the House and the Senate and the White House, we could straighten this stuff out in a matter of months. I've heard that a hundred times. Well, guess what, what, folks? When Donald Trump was elected, we had that. We had the House. We had the Senate. We had the White House. And Donald Trump couldn't get the Senate, couldn't get the House to get together to move anything. So two years later, he lost control of Congress. So he's sitting over at the White House. Everything he promised the voters when he was campaigning, he either already had a bunch of it either done or had it before people, the decision makers, Congress for them to make decisions on. First president in my lifetime that even ever tried to do that. Oh, he was just campaigning. There never is any expectation of anybody that's elected to go back and do everything they promised they would do if we elected them. That's politics. Well, you know what? It's about time politics becomes what it has always been there for, which is to represent the people. But here we go again, right down the rabbit hole. They are every day now. And you wait and hear what Biden says later today. They are in the tank to this massive fear project that they have put together. And it comes, they just ramp it up. When it seems like it's time for them to go to the American people and scare the people again, they'll start planning. They do plan some things. They plan a way to ramp up the fear element. You always are going to hear and see the denigration of the American people 
the y'all just sit down and shut up and listen to us. We're in charge here. That's the driving root of everything we hear coming out of this administration now. We, we've got this. We're in charge. Y'all have no say-so. Do what we tell you to do. They're going to lock us down again. They're going to try to scare us to death. You are not going to hear any death statistics from Omicron. You're not going to. Now, you'll hear it here because we dig in and get that information and get it to you, but you're not going to hear it, certainly not on MSNBC or CNN, certainly not in the New York Post or the, excuse me, the New York Times or the Washington Post. You're not going to see or hear anything like that. It doesn't feed into the narrative of this whole thing that's been scripted. Scare the American people. Force them into listening to and abiding by everything we tell them to do. That soundbite we just played you minutes ago, AOC talking about Joe Manchin, I mean, that is the epitome of a little girl who wanted daddy to do something and daddy wouldn't do it because daddy doesn't think it's good for the little girl and the little girl just goes next door and just goes and finds somebody that will listen to her and it's wah, wah, wah. No substance in anything you heard from her. She actually threw those 31 states leaders under the bus in just a, a, a short sentence. She basically said, and I'm summarizing, do you know that 31 state legislatures have passed laws that are going to prevent people from being able to vote? That's the substance of what she said. It's 180 degrees from what she said. But the sad thing is there are thousands, probably tens of thousands of Americans that love AOC. They love that messaging that she has. And they believe everything she said. And none of it is true. Guess what? We the people passed those voting, not stopping voting opportunities, but expanding the opportunities for voters But each and every one of the things that have been changed in these 31 states is to make sure that nobody votes that shouldn't be voting. Now, she may be right about one thing. It will stop some people from voting, but it will not stop somebody who is legally registered to vote and can vote in any election, as an example. I guarantee you New York is going to allow on local elections illegal aliens to register to vote and vote there. There will be some of these election officials in New York that are in the tank far left. They will find ways to get some of these illegals to cast votes in national elections, which is a violation of the United States Constitution. So AOC, others of her ilk, if that happens, where law enforcement, where legislative groups come in and make sure those things aren't happening or when and if they do, hold whoever does it, hold whoever's responsible for allowing it, hold them responsible and prosecute them for breaking the law, it'll stop. But unless that happens, folks, the rule of law will be once again trampled underneath the feet a political perspective and partisanship. Partisan thuggery. 
That's what we have. This is a scary moment for me. I'm not scared of Omicron. I wasn't scared of Delta. I wasn't afraid of any of them, not because I'm Superman, because I believe this. All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purposes. If I get sick, I believe I will be healed. I have been numerous times in my life. Some really serious things happened to me physically, especially when I was five, six, and seven years old. God spared me. He put me. You know what? God saw TNN Live having a birth a year and a half ago when he healed me. I was born with three kidneys. Two of them died before my parents even found out I had three. They tried to give one of those two that had already died, give it life back over a nine-month period. I was six years old. Talk about nine months of hell, folks. Back then, right around 1959 and 60 and 61, healthcare wasn't anything like it is today, and I should be dead. In fact, the doctors prepared my parents. I had two massive surgeries. One, they literally, I guess just inches away from cutting me in half to take two kidneys out of my right side and fix the plumbing. Things are way different now. Thank God they're way different now. But I was left on earth for a cause. And I believe when I look back at my last 60 years, 61 years, I've been part of something that was planned for me. And there have been things done that probably, I don't know this, I'm just guessing, but they probably wouldn't have been done. Probably the people that have been impacted wouldn't have been impacted. I'm sure God would have put somebody else in my place to make the impact. I'll never know about that, but what I do know is we're all here for a purpose. You have life ahead of you, and you need to find your purpose. Hey, you got a little bit of a sermon there for free, right? (laughs) No, we are on the air. (laughs) This thing started off in a bad way this morning, mechanically. You know, when you deal with the internet, and you got to understand, right now there are people in 60 countries that are listening into this live show. I don't know if it's all 60 this morning, but I think we're broadcasting to 67 or 68 countries other than the United States. And the technology for this just blows my mind. If you don't understand how we do this, I'm looking at an iMac, not a MacBook Pro. I have broadcast this show using a MacBook Pro before when I'm on the road. But I'm looking at an iMac, and I use GarageBand where all of the commercials are loaded, the sound bites you hear us play, Uh, All the music, the intros, the bumps and stuff like that are loaded into GarageBand and they're planned and structured there for every show, every day. I've got a little console, a broadcast console, and our telephone system is hooked into it, the microphone, this microphone, when we have a, a visitor and when you call in, all of that comes through this little console into GarageBand. It's mixed right in. And everything goes out like it's uh, uh, like a hose at the end of the iMac. It goes out and it goes through the internet. It goes from Shreveport, Louisiana, a satellite uplink, and then a downlink link to Dallas-Fort Worth, then 
another bounce up to the satellite from Dallas to Seattle, Washington, and from Seattle, Washington into the blogosphere to 60-plus nations. Isn't that amazing technology? Folks, what we as Americans have had a leg up on is being able to adapt and change when our environment changes. And it would be stupid for us to sit here and try to do everything today just like it was done in 1960 or 70, 80, 90, or even 2000. Technology has dramatically changed and it's changing every day. That's an example of what life is today compared to what it was 100 years ago today. Those who are successful pretty much are those who adapt to the circumstances in the life the cards they're they're dealt. Too many people get caught up in something. They find a little niche, they get comfortable, and they want to stay there, and by jingos, don't you dare try to talk them into doing something different than they've adopted their way to do it. I don't care what it is. You know people like that. They're just stuck. And they pretty much all the time have a frown on their face, And oh, by the way, they live in a a zero-sum game, a game that there's only so much that anybody can win in any game that's played within that scenario. And so the only way you can win is to go steal something from somebody else because there's no more. If there is $100 in a bowl, man, it would be great if you could take some of that 100 and turn it into 200, but you can't. There's only ever going to be $100. And everybody starts off with $10 or 10 people. So to get more, you got to steal a dollar from this one and $2 from that one. That's a zero-sum game. That's where most Americans live, sadly. And that's where people on the far left live 24-7. They don't understand the free market of ideas. They don't understand the ability to be a true entrepreneur in business and start with nothing or very little, have a great plan, a great idea, and put feet on those great ideas and make them work and then be successful. Prime example, Barack Obama. He laughed at people in a speech talking about a a very successful factory in this one city. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing, it's arrogant for you to say you built this. You didn't build this. The people built this. You couldn't have built this if you didn't have roads and utilities. The people did that and made it available for you in this business. This is not your business. Collectivism. That's another word for socialism. Even totalitarianism, where the people own everything. That's not democracy. It's not living in a republic. It's not a representative republic at all. It is the government controlling everything. That's why you have all the spitting and the crying and the complaining going on by the far left. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's good that we're all seeing that. Finally. We're seeing the truth, and we know not who we're fighting because we're not fighting flesh and blood. 
we're fighting a spirit of totalitarianism that wants to take a hold of you and change everything in your life, lock you down, and make you reliant on the government. And every day, a little bit more of that is being revealed. How hard is it to unlock your car? Not hard. How hard is it to shut your car door? Not hard. How hard is it to start your car? Not hard. How hard is it to put your seatbelt on? People are still dying in car accidents because they were not wearing a seatbelt, which is stupid because it's not that hard. Smarten up, buckle up. Think road safety. A message from the Government of South Australia. Biggie bag, huh? It's new from Wendy's. It's everything you ever wanted for just five bucks. Everything I ever wanted? Wendy's bacon double stack, four nuggets, fries, a drink, and the spelling bee medal you lost in second grade because you couldn't spell soliloquy. It really is everything I ever wanted. Get a bacon double stack with a quarter pound of fresh beef, nuggets, fries, and a drink for just five bucks. Wendy's biggie bag is everything you ever wanted. Sorry, I'm going to need all that back. Really? I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all-natural, juicy, grass-fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food. With no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. Welcome to Staples. Staples guy, my company has like seven different printers. How's your ink selection? Behold, Staples Wall of Ink. Just wow. A huge selection of ink and toner guaranteed in stock. Hello, awesome. If it's not, we take $10 off and ship it to you free. Pinch me. I said pinch. I heard you. New low prices on ink and toner and an in-stock guarantee. Staples, make more happen. We don't tell you what to think, but we give you truth to think about. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. P. Moss must have been listening to the last segment. We don't tell you what to think. We give you something to think about. That's what we do here. That's what we do. So, let me tell you, I'm going to give you a little uh, prophecy, a little word right here, what you can expect from his presidency this afternoon when he addresses the nation. He's going to make sure at some point in it, he's going to warn us all that we are going to have a winter of tyranny. He may use another word or two, but that's basically the message he's going to send. And guess who's responsible for it? The winner of death, tyranny, whatever you want to call it. The unvaccinated. I guarantee you, we're the bad guys if you're none if you haven't been vaxxed yet. Let's look at a little bit of history. A couple of days after the 2020 presidential election, Joe pledged to be a president who seeks not to divide, but to unify. And he campaigned on that all through his campaign. Let this grim era of demonization in America begin to end here and now, he said. That was in his victory speech. I didn't watch it live. I had to go get, it was either watch the inauguration 
or get a root canal. And so I chose the root canal. (laughs) He said, it's time to put away the harsh rhetoric, lower the temperature, see each other again, listen to each other again. What a great leading message. Any leader should speak those kinds of things. But then any leader should follow up with actions. So much for that. His first year in office comes to a close next month. In this first year, he's proven to be one of the most divisive presidents in generations, in my lifetime for sure, surpassing even the orange man, Donald Trump, in his vindictiveness and willingness to demonize Americans who disagree with him, even if it means lying, which he's been caught doing about COVID-19. Just look at the last few days, folks. Look what's happened in the last few days. Following a White House briefing last Thursday, On the spread of the Omicron variant, here's what he said. I'm quoting the president. We are looking at a winter of severe illness and death for the unvaccinated, for themselves, their families, and the hospitals they'll soon overwhelm. The next day, White House COVID response coordinator Jeff Zients repeated the line saying, quote, We are intent on not letting Omicron disrupt work and school for the vaccinated. You've done the right thing, and we will get through this, he said. But he wasn't through. For the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winner of severe illness and death for yourselves, your families, and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm. So guess what? That, what you just heard, a severe winner for the unvaccinated. You're looking at a winner of severe illness and death for yourselves, your families, and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm. That's their line. Opened schools and businesses for the vaccinated and severe illness and death for the unvaxxed who are going to overwhelm hospitals with the Omicron variant and by implication, bear responsibility for this entire pandemic from here out. I got to be honest with you. That's This whole concept that they are trying to sell, it's one of the most bizarre and appalling statements from a presidential administration in American history. It's breathtaking. It's dishonest, scapegoating, and shocking. It's callous disregard for millions of Americans who have decided for reasons of their own not to get the COVID shot. Bullying these people is not going to persuade them. Neither will lying about the Omicron variant. There's no evidence right now, folks, none whatsoever, that Omicron is going to bring severe illness and death, or that it's even going to cause a surge in hospitalizations. The evidence so far, it says just the opposite. The evidence says the opposite. But this administration, don't look at the facts. Look at your TV screens and watch the president give you the facts you're supposed to believe. You know, you have your facts and we have ours. Ours are better than yours. (laughs) How about South Africa? You remember that? Oh, gosh, that was where it started. Last month, they found it. The next big killer. Well, guess what's happened there? Hospitalization rates 
have fallen by 91% since the day (laughs) Omicron was discovered. Just 1.7% of all COVID patients were admitted to a hospital in week two of the Omicron surge, compared to 19% in the same week of the Delta surge. Now, these are official South African health official numbers. What's more, the Omicron variant appears to be milder than earlier strains of COVID. Dad gummit, that's going to screw up the Biden administration's plans for us all. They wanted us to sit at home on Christmas Day and be afraid to mingle with our friends and family members. Michelle Groom, head of health surveillance for South Africa's National Institute for Communicable Diseases, said, we are really seeing very small increases in the numbers of deaths. Hmm. Others have also noted a decoupling of new COVID cases and deaths there in South Africa. In past surges, they've been closely aligned. More evidence of this decoupling comes from other places on the planet, like the United Kingdom, where COVID deaths have not surged along with a rising case count from Omicron. There's no data anywhere to suggest that the Omicron variant is anywhere near as deadly as the previous strains of the virus or that it causes more severe illness. The data so far shows the exact opposite. If Omicron is a more contagious but also a milder strain, as we would expect with a mutating virus and a pandemic, then it makes sense. Cases would surge, but severe illness and death would not. That's the normal way it happens. Here in the U.S., that appears to be what we're seeing so far. Dadgummit, Biden wanted that winner of death. We have a surge of new cases but a slight decrease nationwide as of yesterday afternoon, a decrease in hospitalizations. So instead of freaking out about Omicron, forecasting death and doom for the unvaccinated, maybe it's time to do what some states like, you know, those demonized ones, Florida and Texas have been doing all along, work to protect the most vulnerable and prevent deaths. Ensure hospitals don't get overwhelmed. Oh, by the way, keep schools and businesses open. Case counts and death counts much lower than across the nation. In other words, manage the freaking pandemic, which at this point is looking increasingly like an endemic. So much for Biden's dishonesty about what a winter surge of the Omicron variant is going to bring to us. What about his callousness, and his contempt for those evil, unvaccinated Americans. It's hard to imagine any message at all that could even be more calculated to divide the country than what this president has put out again and again and again. Essentially, diving, dividing Americans into an in-group of vaccinated and an out-group of unvaccinated, then blaming the entire, entire the whole pandemic on the outgroup, including whatever happens over the winter we're getting into right now, today actually. The only possible explanation for this messaging, there's only one. Biden scared to death his presidency is in chaos. 
and his legislative agenda has stalled out. If that's the case, he's not wrong, folks. Over the weekend, Manchin announced he's not going to support the Build Back Better legislation. It was the signature piece of Biden's agenda, and now it's dead. On the border, illegal immigration still surging at historic levels. You think just because mainstream media is not bringing you daily stories on the southern border and the rush of illegals to get in, just because they're not covering it, it's been happening at even more historic levels. With the promise of another surge and an ever-deepening crisis in illegal immigration certainly headed our way in the spring, Biden has done his best to simply ignore it. He won't even talk about it. Even as a growing number of Americans say they disapprove of his handling of the border. The economy is struggling. Inflation going crazy. Biden's popularity is sinking to dangerous lows just 12 months, not even 12, 11 months into his presidency. So his last resort, he's going to scapegoat the unvaccinated and blame everything bad that happens in the nation on those who refuse to just accept anything and everything he tells people we need to do. Never mind that many of the unvaxxed have already gotten and recovered from COVID and have foregone the shot because they have natural immunity. That's a reality. Scientists everywhere, with the exception of one, Anthony J. Fauci. I don't know if J's his middle initial or not, but it just fits. He won't even talk about natural immunity when, at the very beginning of this whole thing, he was telling us we've got to get to herd immunity, which is natural immunity. Never mind that some people having seen over the course of the last two years that COVID is not as dangerous as the media and the political elites have made it out to be, and the COVID treatment has improved dramatically. They've assessed their risk and made an educated choice. Not going to get the shot. Never mind any of that. For Biden, blaming the unvaccinated, what is it? It's a way to deflect from the manifest failures that we're seeing, we're living in. His administration, everybody in it's up to their eyeballs, in failure on every other important issue besides COVID. And they're pretty far into the tank bad on COVID. What we're watching, not the actions of a great unifier or even a marginally competent one, After his inauguration, Biden embraced comparisons to Democrat presidents like Franklin D. Roosevelt and LBJ, Lyndon B. Johnson. They both, FDR and LBJ, they enacted huge government welfare programs in the middle of great changes in American society. But more applicable comparisons at this point would be to inept, 19th century presidents like Franklin Pierce and James Buchanan. You remember the Buchanan name. Did you know we had a president named Franklin Pierce? Those two guys were one-termers whose blundering tenures were marked by nothing more than chaos, division, and dangerous incompetence. Sound familiar? (laughs) Sounds familiar to me. 
So you heard AOC just a few minutes ago weigh in on Joe Manchin and what she thinks about what he has not done and why he should have done it, primarily because we wanted him to. The White House was mocked viciously over the weekend after pushing the message so long that unvaxxed Americans would experience this winter of severe illness and death because of the Omicron variant. Biden, as well as White House COVID response coordinator Jeff Zentz, we just told you what he said, his message parroted exactly what the president said, looking ahead of the winter of severe illness and death. Biden said, I want to send a direct message to the American people. Due to the steps we've taken, Omicron has not yet spread as fast as it would have otherwise done. But it's here now, and it's spreading, and it's going to increase. We're looking at that, yada, 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 winter of illness and death. For the unvaxxed, only for them. You know, we never have any breakthrough. Oh, we do? Well, every once in a while. No, we have a lot of them. Well, yeah, Mr. President, we do. Well... If you're vaccinated and you have your booster shot, you're protected from severe illness and death. Forget about the thousands of those who have had those, the vaccinations and their booster shot, and they died. Forget about them. Critics took to social media to mock the White House's message of death. Some referred to Biden as the Grim Reaper. Others declaring that Biden saying he was going to shut down the virus sounded a lot different than illness and death. Little history here. Do you remember the last year of Donald Trump's four? You remember what happened? Well, let's go back to the first year and compare the first year in the Trump presidency to the first year in the Biden presidency. So Trump, remember, he was in the very ramp-up stages of that Russia collusion scandal that proved to be false. But even with that going on, Trump ended his first year of his presidency on a high note. Remember the passage of those massive historic tax cuts that were so effective at getting this economy roaring and including more Americans in the economy than had ever been a part of it before. Contrast that with this first year of Joe Biden's administration. It's ending with a stunning rebuke from a senator in his own party, Joe Manchin, of course. He knocked down Biden's signature Build Back Better legislation. And folks... Another example of the ineptness of this White House and this president and this administration. They don't even know the path to go down now because they thought they had Build Back Better in their pocket and they were going to buy everybody's support because that's what it was going to do. Their future is further complicated by Biden himself. He's already beset with a brand new poll that came out this morning. I'll give you those numbers in a little bit, but they're really bad. Add that on top of soaring inflation, a stubborn pandemic, stinging losses in the courts, and don't forget about his marvelous withdrawal from Afghanistan. 
Voices on both sides of the political aisle said over the weekend failures could be traced to a common problem for this White House. Expectation setting. Setting a Christmas deadline for that Build Back Better bill, it was a stupid thing to do. Hindsight's twenty twenty, But you should have never done that. You only have a four-seat majority in the House of Representatives, Mr. President. And even though you have one vote edge in the Senate, if there's a tie, you have 50 Republicans, 50 Democrats, and you can't bet on getting every Democrat on every piece of legislation to vote your way just because you told them to. Setting that Christmas deadline was stupid. They made so many promises. That's our buddy here, Senator John Kennedy. What one wants to try to do is under-promise and over-deliver. They did the opposite. James Carville, another, another guy from Louisiana, he said the Democratic strategist who guided Bill Clinton to three victory decades ago, that's him. He suggested... Sunday, there was no reason to create an end-of-year deadline for passage of that bill. He said the failure overshadows some of the victories Democrats have achieved, like a bipartisan infrastructure bill, a job and wage growth package, and the end of America's longest war. 2021 is the greatest story never told. (laughs) That's Carville. He's crying with his cohorts on CNN in an interview. In the interview, he blamed Biden and Democrats for messaging that fails to highlight their accomplishment and certainly fail in setting realistic expectations for the voters. The Biden White House felt slighted by Manchin's high-profile rejection. They just fired all kinds of ugly things at the senator before urging Democrats to pivot to some new legislative priority involving... Here we go, into the tank for something far left. Federalizing voting rules, that's their new thing. That wonderful spirit of unity that Biden promised to bring back to Washington, if there was any of it left, and I think it was already all gone, but if there was, it all slipped away Sunday. Bernie Sanders, did you hear or see him say what he said? He just, I mean, excoriated Manchin. He accused Joe Manchin of bowing to big drug firms. While White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki accused Manchin of a breach of his commitments to the president and the senator's colleagues in the House and the Senate. Liberal TV pundits, of course, they just went further. They suggested West Virginia Democrats had put democracy itself in jeopardy by refusing to vote for a $1.7 trillion spending plan in the middle of soaring inflation. What's worse? Manchin is killing the Biden legislative agenda. And with that, perhaps the future of American democracy too. Or that he wasted most of this year dragging this thing out to do it and wasted half of the time that Democrats controlled Congress and the White House. That was actually stated by MSNBC's Made a Hassan. Former Watergate reporter Carl Bernstein, he's now a very liberal commentator. He's a nasty guy. 
He's obscene in what he does. The only hole in media he could ever get in and work and get on a camera would it would be at MSNBC and CNN, and that's where he lives. He used some similar nasty language to rebuke Manchin. He suggested Joe might also block Democrats' voting bill. I don't think he'll have to. I believe there's a large group of those on the left that realize what they're wanting to do, federalize elections. First of all, it's unconstitutional. It can only be done with a constitutional amendment. So it would end up there. And of course, they know that. Here's what they do, folks. They used to. In fact, I'll never forget. In a Supreme Court nomination confirmation hearing, I just went totally blank. The justice, uh, what's his name? He's from Colorado. He was before Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. He excoriated members of the Senate Judiciary Committee about the language they used to pass laws. He said, you guys, you're failing. You're all attorneys. You know how to write laws. You know how to write legislation. But you leave everything open-ended, and then you expect those of us in the judiciary to come back and just mystically be able to know for a fact what you really intended when you wrote these vague pieces of legislation. I think they do that on purpose. And Democrats are getting caught in that exact thing that it it has to have been being done purposely. This also goes into a question of voting rights, they say, because unless there's something that can be done about the filibuster rule in the Senate, which Manchin again has indicated he's not going to vote for change, there's not going to be an effective legislative means of doing what needs to be done to guarantee that American democracy through the right to vote for all Americans without being suppressed as we're seeing now. That's Carl Bernstein. You give me an example, one exact example, one of how somebody's vote was suppressed and tell me the exact circumstances on November 3rd in 2020. They make all these allegations. That's the walking points, the walking, talking points the Democrats use. They never give specifics. They go up and give you a 10,000 perspective, 10,000 foot view. You can't tell details from that far up in, in the air when you're flying. You can see some of the things, but you can't get into the nitty-gritty. And the reason they do that is because they have a strong following of people that live at the 10,000-foot level. They say facts matter, but you start talking to him about the actual facts. They can't give you an answer on anything. Politico, actually, they bumped Bernstein for saying that. They said this. Quote, Biden was supposed to bring order to the chaos of D.C., but chaos is prevailing. My goodness, think about it. A left-wing newspaper, Politico, actually called Joe Biden out on something substantive. Big news right after this at TNN Live. Papa John is not interested in quality. He's obsessed with it because Papa John's a pizza maker. It's what he does. That's why you've got Papa's quality guarantee signed by the man himself. 
Love your pizza, or we'll deliver another absolutely free. It's my guarantee. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. And right now, save 25% when you spend 25 pounds or more online. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive, yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. Yo, some people think it don't make sense that I'm a horse whisperer. Fancy prance, yo! But you know what else don't make sense? Bye. I mean, it's good for you, but still somehow tastes amazing. Sideways fancy prance, you heard? Yeah. Clippity-clop, clippity-clop. Yo, I just whispered all of y'all. Too easy. Bye. Five calories, antioxidants, and tastes amazing? None of this makes sense. What a great song. Glenn Fry, I wish we had time I'd tell you. I tell you what. Let me let me turn the volume up on this. I want you to listen a little listen to his words. Sitting by a foggy window. Staring at the pouring rain. Falling down like lonely teardrops. Memories of love you. Listen to this chorus. I would never make you cry. I would never make you blue. I would never let you down. I would never be untrue. I know a place where we can go, where true love always stays. There's no more stormy nights. Now let me tell you what was going on there. He had been married before. His wife, who was his wife until he died, she'd been married before. And she was in a really, really bad relationship. 
So they dated for a long time. They fell in love with each other, but she was afraid. She didn't want to get hurt again. So let me tell you what he did. He wrote this song for her, took her to dinner at their favorite restaurant in Manhattan. And at the restaurant, he had planned it. They brought him a guitar that he had left in the back. And he sang this song to her and then asked her to marry him. (laughs) Both of them had been hurt, but he told her, no more cloudy days. Isn't that a great thing to do? Boy, I wish there was more music written today that had themes, specific themes, that were meaningful to the people who listened to it. And I'm not demeaning today's modern music. Those of you that know, I'm a musician, and I love music. I love all kinds of genre. I have my favorite, but I'll, I'll listen to everything. I like rap music. Not all of it, but I like some of it. Some of it's very innovative. I like the concept. And I like some of today's artists, too. But at the same time, I think music is best when it's used as a messaging tool talking about substance instead of symbolism. By the way, um, during that break, I got a note from Mike Stevens down in uh, the Hill Country in Texas, and he was talking about um, what the Democrats are trying to do now. Their latest cause is that voter reform bill, they call it, but what it is is nothing but a federal takeover of our election systems. Mike said that the Democrats talk about voter suppression, and of course they're talking about the suppression of African-American voters. You know, those people that are born to vote Democrat, right? They're trying to keep them from voting for us. Well, then how, if they're suppressed, how do you get the fact that Biden got more black votes November 2020 than Barack Obama got in either one of his elections that he won? Give us some examples, like I asked for, of voter suppression. The big thing that I was going to tell you about, big media folk, they have decided it's time for Joe Biden to go. When the New York Times begins publishing op-eds that says Joe Biden should not run again, but they don't stop there. They say he should announce that he's not going to run again right now. When that happens, the gig is up. Biden, whether he has announced or not, literally, Biden is now a lame duck. Somebody needs to tell him. Columnist Brett Stevens, he noted that the president would be 86 years old at the time of the next election cycle. And that now, he says, Stevens thinks that Biden seems uneven, his word. Often, he's cogent, but sometimes alarmingly incoherent. More simply, Joe is old, and he's tottering, and he's unpopular to a startling degree. That new poll I told you that came out this morning, it shows Biden with only a 41% acceptable rating from the American people, 55% negative. As columnist Stevens notes, even passage of a multi-trillion dollar infrastructure spending bill didn't boost his numbers very much. Stevens suggests that the president should liberate his party 
by freeing new and younger candidates to begin exploring a path to the presidency. In other words, he ought to go find somebody else and prop them up to replace him. It's true, the question of Joe's future needs to be discussed in a candid fashion, not just whispered about. At the same time, can we also ask the other obvious question candidly? Why did the media cover for this old man with clear age-related issues, pushing him into a job he was never capable of holding, and subjecting, because of that, the nation to a dangerous period without a strong leader? Now, it's fine to have a mea culpa moment. We all have them. Truth delivered late is better than truth denied forever, but as the nation stumbles along with this puppet president, and folks, what I'm giving you now is a story from the New York Times, there should be some accountability. Now, this is damn. Just one year after a record 81 million Americans voted for him, they're now being told it didn't work out. Sorry. It's coming within the time frame of the traditional presidential honeymoon, that period that is just a few months normally. But during that period, presidents are normally at their zenith of political power, brimming to pass a bold agenda and they get more stuff passed. At the very beginning, in the honeymoon period, Perhaps we should give the public some adjustment time. (laughs) Try to avoid whiplash from this quick pivot. After all, it wasn't long ago that the Washington Post Jennifer Rubin was telling them Biden was completely fit for duty. Someone who with his aviator sunglasses, plus his promotion of exercise during the Obama administration we heard about, that that projects vitality and energy, Rubin said. Just a, just over a month before the election last year, a Forbes article claimed that Trump and Biden might be super-agers, their term, who would be expected to significantly outlive other men their ages. Trump's activity on the campaign trail perhaps warranted that description, but Biden? Not so much. He spent more days underground then Puxatawney Phil and showed frequent difficulty with just trying to give speeches on the campaign trail from trying to describe COVID losses for the past hundred years, you remember that? To quoting, you know, the thing. Days after his election victory last year, Matt Visor of the Washington Post tweeted that Joe Biden would often jog on the stage showing how physically vigorous he is and attempting to dispel questions about his age. Now that he's the oldest president-elect in American history, that doesn't change. Uh, yeah, it has changed, Matt. The truth of this is, establishment Democrats wanted Joe. They selected him. Despite his age and numerous warning signs about his mental acuity, He was the blank canvas on which anything could be written and he could be sold as a moderate. Well, when all that was going on and Bernie Sanders surged in the polls with 45 delegates after the first three primaries, Joe was, he was struggling in a distant third place, only had 15. The Democrat Party took over. Representative Jim Clyburn, 
South Carolina. He stepped in and he delivered an influential endorsement in his state that pushed African-American support Biden's way. And that propelled him to victory there. That was the beginning of the rise to the Biden presidency. Stories immediately appeared claiming Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg had no realistic path to the nomination. What that means is the media bought in. The Democrat mouthpieces, they got the word. We got to push Biden to the White House. So at the very beginning, Biden was trailing the well-organized Bernie Sanders fundraising machine with his dollars raised. The Democrat establishment, they pivoted. They got the message too. They began to push donations to Joe. As the New York Times admitted in an article back then, quote, the elite world of billionaires and multimillionaires has remained a critical cog in the Biden money machine. All those small dollar donors of Bernie's were no match for the large bundles of corporate and PAC cash. With the help of the media, Biden was elected without serious inquiry regarding his physical and mental abilities. In fact, when somebody questioned it, they were immediately shut down, canceled. Now, suddenly, it's time to plan Joe's exit before the new Oval Office carpet is fully settled in place. We should note it wasn't Joe stumbling up the stairs of Air Force One that troubled Democrats into questioning his fitness. They didn't question his stability when he at times spoke in gibberish or some new language. They didn't seem worried when his physical exam failed to report on his cognitive ability. Nope. The polls collapsed is why Joe is suddenly being challenged on the question of running again. And despite Chuck Todd's protestations, you can't blame any of this on Donald Trump, folks. Turns out the public is a bit smarter than the Democrats guessed we are. Reading prepared speeches from a teleprompter is no substitute for leadership. Neither is putting one's head down on the presidential podium like a child in the face of tough questions about a military failure in Afghanistan. The blame game can only get a president so far. So after voters finish expressing ire at the press for being misled about his abilities, perhaps they're going to turn and express sympathy for the old guy who so desperately wanted the job. Having run twice before, which he had, the party eventually picked him up. But not before the gas had run out of his tank. Joe may have always been a politician, but the man behind the podium now is not the same as the one who ran back in 08. Certainly not the man who ran in 88. Stripped of his dignity, he's nothing more than a caricature of a president. Adorned with all of the symbols of the office, no substance necessary to get things done. Every Trump voter can still name his key issues. Closing the border, beating China, restoring American jobs, making America energy independent, and above all, to make America great again. We remember every one of those things. Less than a year into this presidency, it's hard to recall Biden standing strongly for anything during this year, having served more as an official signer of executive orders for leftist special interest groups than for his own agenda. 
The truth is, even as his campaign wobbled toward the finish line last year, they were still struggling to come up with a slogan. That few can remember the eventual decision speaks to the the vacuousness of this man and this presidency. Joe's in the process of sinking. And sadly, it's not only himself, but also his party in the upcoming midterms. Possibly looking ahead even the 2024 election. So the door to retirement is being planned. And it's not him planning it, folks. They're going to tell Joe. They'll tell Jill first. And when she brings Joe his sippy cup of warm milk, when she wakes him up, she may say, Hey, Joe, it's about time for you to go back to Delaware permanently. Maybe Democrats will at least give him the courtesy of a final national address, a chance to read from the presidential teleprompter one final time. At the end, he can sign off blissfully. He'll say this. If he's gracious, and he is a gracious guy, Joe will say this in his last speech. Thank you. God bless you. God bless America. And God bless our military. End of message. (laughs) I can see it happening. (laughs) I bet you can too. Hey, we can laugh at things. We're human. We can laugh at things. And let's face it, folks. Some things that even a president of the United States does. Some things that anybody does. (laughs) Some things that everybody does from time to time. I don't care who you are. That's funny right there. That's funny right there. And folks, we get a lot of those in this president. Joe Biden has a full of, I don't know about that. He's got a bunch of those. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. You love chocolate. Mm. Chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes. M&M's dark chocolate candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. With diseases like coronavirus, the flu, and hepatitis A on the rise, it's your job to wash your hands and cover your cough. Remember, wash your hands using soap and warm water before you eat or prepare food and after using the restroom. When coughing or sneezing, cover your mouth and nose with a tissue or your upper sleeve. Stop the spread of germs to keep yourself and loved ones healthy. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto. 529-8342 Need more cowbell? Better yet, how about the ring of truth? TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman.
Have you been to one of those college football games, football games where, um, like Mississippi State, they bang those cowbells? Um, For years, I did the color on the Louisiana Tech radio football network, and I had a great time. We we went to some of the, the, the most storied stadiums to play story football programs like Penn State and Southern Cal and Florida State, Alabama a couple of times a bunch of the SEC teams. And so I got to see a lot and learn a lot. And uh, the one that just blew my mind was at Mississippi State. Right before halftime in every game, I would leave the press box and come down to the field. I'm talking back and forth to Dave Nitz, who was the uh, play-by-play announcer. But I was down there just to grab the head coach, Gary Croton, as he came off the field at halftime just to talk about the first half. At Mississippi State, folks, When you get down on the sideline, you can't hear anything but those stinking cowbells going off. I wonder if they still do that in COVID land. And those cowbells, folks, they're big old bells and they're made of metal. Can you imagine somebody getting hacked off at uh, a supporter of the visiting team and getting into some physical violence using a cowbell? I, I don't even know where. I, that came from that bump that Pete Moss did. Yeah, it was, it's kind of funny. It's kind of cute. Needs more cowbells? <laughs> I don't know about that. Oh, my goodness. Well, guess what? We have a COVID outbreak in the White House. Did you know about that? None of us knew about that. So Jen Psaki... Yesterday, she, when she was asked about it, she didn't deny that there is a COVID outbreak at the White House, saying breakthrough cases are to be expected, even though Biden's staff is 99% vaccinated. I wonder who that other 1% is. That's the first thing that popped to mind. So during the press briefing, she was asked whether there is currently a coronavirus outbreak at the White House, the National Security Council, the State Department of the Treasury and whether Biden had recently been in close contact with any COVID-positive person. Here's what she said. The president has a full schedule today and is not need of quarantine. That was her answer. We will provide information to all of you as outlined with our commitment from just a few months ago about being transparent about close contacts. I don't have any updates for you at this point in time, but again... We expect there to be breakthrough cases across the country, right? And certainly in the federal government. She wasn't through that. And the most important thing to note for you and for others is that 99% or more at this point of the White House staff is vaccinated. She still didn't tell us who the 1% is. Boosters are strongly recommended and distributed. We have a very thorough process here that people abide by, who are going to have close contact with the president, and even beyond that. And those protocols go above and beyond CDC guidelines. The reporter wasn't finished. Pushed further, asking, so you're not going to say whether or not there's been a significant outbreak in the various different parts that I mentioned? National Security Council, State Department, and Treasury? Saki, again, she replied. I point you to different agencies to give any additional information, but I would just note that we do expect there to be 
breakthrough cases, as there will be across government. The comments from the White House followed separate announcements on Sunday by Senators Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker. Both of them tested positive over the weekend for COVID. And they both had been triple vaccinated and had both boosters. Also, Representative Jason Crow, a Democrat from Colorado, they tested positive despite being fully vaccinated. And Saki never would answer it. Of course, it was slipped out a little bit later on that, yep, he had spent 30 minutes with somebody on the White House staff that had COVID-19. And so the question today is, does the president have COVID? And if he doesn't, if he tested okay, or they're quarantining the president, hmm, no answer yet. On yesterday's broadcast of CNN's New Day, they had New York City Health Commissioner Dr. Dave Chosishi on that program, and he stated that while COVID cases and test positivity have seen steep increases in New York, we have not seen the same thing with respect to the markers of severe D's, particularly hospitalizations. And hospitals are currently in a, his term, solid position with hospitalizations well below the peaks from the spring of 2020 and last winter. The doctor said we've seen cases and test positivity increase sharply, but as yet we've not seen things like the markers we had of severe disease. Right now there are about a thousand people hospitalized with COVID across the city. That's about a quarter of where we were at the peak of last winter's wave and less than one-tenth of where we were in the spring of 2020. John Berman, the co-host, asked, as of now, the hospital's not being taxed. Capacity is okay as of now? The doctor said, yes, that's correct. We're watching it closely. We're making adjustments as we need to, but right now we're in a solid position. So you got that from a, from a, a doctor, and we're talking about one city. Of course, you can't measure how good or how bad COVID infections are by just one city. But across the nation, folks, yeah, there are cases. The case numbers are going up. But folks, those aren't the things that are important to us. Let me ask you this. When the flu, the pandemic of flus happen every few years or whatever, maybe they don't call it or term it a pandemic, but when they started giving the demographics about flu stuff, did you ever ever hear anybody in the media or anybody in any White House go crazy about, oh my gosh, cases are going through the roof. People are going to hospitals and checking in. It's out the wazoo. No, it never got serious until anybody began to die. COVID, not so much. Not so much. Oh, they love to when they when they, they saw the numbers of COVID deaths going up rapidly, they just foamed at the mouth to get that news out to people. This, it just fed their fear factor that they've used from the very beginning to keep Americans in line. It just fed that. But now, aren't many people dying. Over the last month, when we give you the VAERS report, which include the death numbers for those who have died as being diagnosed from a, uh, an adverse reaction from taking a vaccination, it's stabilized just under the 20,000 mark for three or four months. 
And when it rolled across the 20,000 number, you could see the media, left-stream Democrats in Congress and across the nation begin to applaud. We finally, we got to the 20,000 mark. Now we can use that to scare Americans to death. And this mandate thing that's happening, oh my gosh, I can't keep up with the lawsuits that are filed and then they're appealed when uh, a judge, one judge says you can't mandate vaccines for federal contractors in 10 states, for every employer or private employer in the nation that has 100 employees or more, you can't do it. And then the state or the federal government who issued these mandates, they appeal that finding. They go forum shop and find an appeal judge somewhere that is politically along their lines, and they get that overturned. So the mandates go back in, and then that's appealed. It's happened again. A federal judge in Missouri issued a temporary hold on the Biden COVID-19 vaccine mandate for federal contractors, but only in 10 states while litigation plays out. We just beat the Biden administration in court again. That's Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt. He announced that on Twitter late yesterday. This afternoon, we got a preliminary injunction against the vaccine mandate on federal contractors, halting enforcement of that mandate in Missouri and nine other states. The preliminary injunction, it was issued by U.S. Magistrate Judge David Nose applies to Alaska, Arkansas, Iowa, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, New Hampshire, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wyoming. Schmidt and Nebraska Attorney General Doug Peterson, both who are Republicans, on October 29th co-led the 10 states in suing the administration over the mandate. And they claim in their suit it's unconstitutional, unlawful, and unwise. It will not harm the federal government to maintain the status quo while the courts decide the issues of the president's authority and the implications for federalism. The court concludes that on balance, consideration of the harms in the public interest weigh in favor of a preliminary injunction. That's the judge, Judge David Nose. A nationwide preliminary injunction is already in place, blocking the Biden administration's vaccine mandate for federal contractors after a federal court in Georgia December 7th granted the injunction in a separate seven-state lawsuit led by Georgia. See, I mean, it's all fragmented. But guess what's happening? It's headed. It is headed to the Supreme Court. The Biden administration yesterday was directed by Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh to reply to a flurry of fresh challenges to its private employer COVID-19 vaccine mandate. Kavanaugh told administration officials to file their responses to applications from faith groups, from private companies, and attorneys general from over half the states in the country by 4 p.m. next Thursday afternoon. And that's just days before the mandate's deadline. This case is finally where it belongs, at the Supreme Court. OSHA has threatened to start punishing employers like our clients, 
starting on January 10th. We're grateful the court has ordered a briefing schedule that will allow for resolution of our petition before that deadline. That's the managing attorney at the Liberty Justice Center. We're very pleased with Justice Kavanaugh's quick response and are confident that the court will act quickly to ensure legal predictability before the deadline. Let me just let me just make a little a little prognostication for you. If and when this happens, we're going to see violence like we've not seen before. And I think it's not going to initiate among everyday Americans. I think it's going to be fed by these far-left groups that have been kind of quiet in their protest the last couple of months. And I think they're like, uh, you know, they're, they're like that ant pile that you see growing and growing and all these ants crawling all over each other. And then all of a sudden something gets in there and makes them mad and then they just start running in a flurry. I think we're going to see that happen. Why? People on the far left are seeing every day they're getting kicked in the shins by all kinds of things. But all kinds of things are lumped into one group and they don't like it. They hate it. It's the truth. They can't stand the truth. When the truth doesn't go their way, they just go nuts. They just go nuts. So this COVID-19 thing, the Omicron now, they've gone crazy. And what's begun to happen is these mandates are coming out and they're being tested. And some of the mandates, in fact, most of them, have within that an option. You know, you can apply, uh, you can do a uh, an application to get through it based upon religious or health issues. And then that other one that is thrown in in some of these things is a test being tested every week. And so this testing thing all of a sudden is getting a lot of attention. And there is already a massive, much larger demand for testing than there has been before. We told you about what's happening on the streets in D.C. I mean, lines, I mean, lines, blocks long of people waiting at these testing facilities to get tested. So what the White House do? Hey, we got a plan. We're going to start sending tests everywhere to everybody. Thanks, Jen. Yesterday, you seemed to dismiss the idea of sending COVID-19 tests to all Americans, but other countries have taken similar aggressive steps uh, to make free te- uh, testing free available to all citizens. Singapore, for example, sent six test kits called Citizens in September. In the UK, any citizen can order a pack of uh, several testing kits all at once. Is the White House's position on this simply a cost analysis, or are there other reasons why the administration doesn't think that sending tests, uh, COVID-19 tests, to all Americans is a good strategy? Well, let me let me give you an overarching, uh, comprehensive uh, understanding of how we're approaching this uh, to give you a sense, and I appreciate the question. So. Our objective is to continue to scale up our testing program to meet demand and ensure that people who want tests are getting tests. And there are a range of ways people want tests. Some people want to do it in their homes, certainly, and we've seen an increase in demand for that in recent months. And we've quadrupled our capacity in that regard. We'll keep building. Some people want to go uh, to their 
their primary care physicians. Some people want to go to a community health center or rural health center. Some people want to have their kids tested at school, an option that many public schools have made available or in private schools, I guess, as well have made available. So what we're, our focus is on is ensuring that everyone in America has access to free testing whether at a doctor's office, pharmacy, community testing site, or now at home. And uh, th there's a couple steps we've taken from the beginning. We haven't always, there's obviously a lot of interest in testing now for good reason. Uh, and one, in February, we wrote new guidance to make insurers cover asymptomatic PCR and point of care tests critical to helping the majority of Americans who have private insurance not worry about burdensome test costs. So what that means is before that, if you went to get a PCR test, as we know, which is a, um, a test that can uh, certainly track um, uh, very closely whether you have components of the virus, you had to pay for it. Our, our private we now insured many months ago that was not the case. As I noted, we quadrupled the number of free pharmacy testing sites with a priority on vulnerable communities in addition to state and local community sites. So today, there are 20,000 sites across the country with free quality tests. That means you can walk into the pharmacy, get a free test, get it done, uh, ensure you're taking that step. That's the preference for some. We've also secured funding from the Rescue Plan, invested it in hardest hit areas, $10 billion for schools to conduct testing, nearly $1 billion for rural clinics and hospitals. And toward the summer, we also planned for the school year, ensuring school districts had the resources to set up a testing program to ensure kids stayed in school. We also doubled down our work to get testing to congregate settings that were more vulnerable and where demand was, was uh, higher. As Delta hit in the summer, and demand increased for testing, we immediately jumped into action. And as we've seen at home tests become more in demand, we've taken steps on that front to make them free. So if you have private insurance, we're making sure you'll get reimbursed by your insurer for at-home tests, if that's your preference, if that's what you would like to do. And we made sure that the tests you get from your healthcare provider, like PCR tests, are covered with no copays. Uh, I also would note that we also announced last week we're sending 50 million free tests starting this month to convenient locations like health centers and community sites. So overarching, our objective here is to make them accessible, to make sure that people who want to get tested can get tested in any means they choose to do, and to make sure they're free for everyone in America. And I understand all those efforts, but why is, wouldn't it be a good idea to just send them to all American homes? It seems like that would make it more readily available to just, you know, have it sitting, you know, knowing that one is just sitting in your kitchen somewhere, you know? Why isn't that a way that uh, it would be an effective strategy? Well, our assessment is that the best way to make these tests readily available and accessible to people is to make them available, meet people where they are, and make them available at places where people go, community health centers, rural health centers, pharmacies, doctor's offices, schools, and also have a component where people can have tests for free at their home. But uh, we, our approach is not to send everyone in the country a test, just to, send, to have millions of tests go unused where we know others can make use of them. So we have made an assessment about how to make them free and available to Americans across the country. That's absolutely our objective, and we'll continue to build on it. And you did seem to reference cost yesterday. So is that a uh, concern with just how uh, logistically, uh, financially, how hard that would be to get to all American households? Again, our objective is to make them readily available to people where they are across the country. And we have made the assessment that doing that is most effective by making them, by donating these 50 million tests to community health centers and rural health centers, by making them available at 20,000 pharmacies, by working with schools and workplaces to make testing available, and also to ha providing the option for people to get free tests in their host. Yeah. 
You want me to interpret that whole thing? She kept saying it over and over again. We're going to make it available to where Americans are. And she was being asked, hey, Jen, Americans live at their homes. Wouldn't it be better just to send a bunch of tests to people's homes across the nation? And let me give you the reason why they're not going to do that. Can you imagine the process that it would take to distribute 500 million, a billion, however many you're going to do it, not just one one test per family because families have a bunch of people that live there. Technically, I guess you would have to send out 330 million tests for just one person and then multiples of that number to test everybody in these families. It just doesn't make sense. I get that. But folks, listen to what she said they're going to do. They're going to send them out to all these uh, retail stores and uh, these not-for-profit groups to do this testing. Americans aren't going to know what to do or where to go, and the people that are administering tests aren't going to know, and there are going to be a bunch of tests that are going to be tested wrong. I got a, a news bulletin overnight I want to I want to pass along to you. For those of you who believe in the testing, the PCR test, and remember this, they told us back in August, the uh, FDA and the CDC were going to stop distribution of PCR tests at the end of this year. Why? Because the results aren't tri- uh, reliable. You can't trust the results they're giving us. Haven't heard another thing about that. And they're talking about sending out, maybe that's why they're going to rush and send all these tests out because they're going to get rid of them (laughs) because they're not going to use these PCR tests. So they got all of them in the warehouse. Novel idea. Won't we just go ahead and give them away? Included in these over-the-counter COVID test kits that you can buy right now at places like CVS and Walgreens and many other drugstore chains and local drugstores, don't do it. Don't go there. Get tested at your healthcare facility or your doctor. Why? There's a drug in the over-counter test kits. It's called sodium azide. It's for sure in every one of them, folks, and it is extremely deadly. It only takes minute amount of it, and it will kill you and does kill Americans and other people. Again, these are the -the over-the-counter drug tests that you can buy right now today. Don't use those. How in the world it would be approved for anybody to send something out that has a deadly chemical in it, I, I have no idea. But we don't want you to get hung. Again, it's sodium azide. It's in all DIY test kits that you can buy at pharmacies today. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, George Walker Bush, do solemnly swear. I, George Walker Bush, do solemnly swear. That I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. That I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. Sorry, let me just get this. Hello. Hey. I was just thinking about you. Yes, I was. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, I what? No, you were. That I will faithfully execute the office of president. (laughs) So, uh, what are you wearing? Of president Uh, of the United uh. States. (laughs) Oh. Say, can I call you back? So help me God. No, you hang up. 
No, you hang up. No, you. You hang up. So help me God. You hang up. It's President's Day, and everybody's getting in on the special offer from Verizon Wireless. For just $25 per month, get 1,500 anytime minutes, plus free long distance. Verizon Wireless. Join in. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. What are you doing? Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's a bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, here's Bud Light. And a chainsaw. Well, get what news? Coming out of New York this morning, Fox News employees in New York City are going to be required as of two days after Christmas to have at least one coronavirus vaccination dose in order to work in person at the company's headquarters. All workers in New York City who perform in-person work at an office location, including Fox employees, must show proof of receiving at least one dose of COVID-19 vaccine by December 27th according to an internal staff memo sent by Fox Corporation first reported by the Washington Post. There will no longer be a testing requirement for Fox News employees in New York City. The memo goes on to blame New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio for the Fox vaccine mandate. Earlier this month, the mayor implemented a vaccine mandate for the private sector starting the same day. The timing and ramifications of this mandate are very unfortunate, but we must take timely actions to be compliant by 1227. That's what the memo says. This mandate by the mayor prohibits unvaxxed employees from working at Fox News New York office as of 1227. Outside the city, Fox News has not mandated the vaccine, but has established a vaccine pass system in which unvaxxed employees have to comply with certain additional guidelines like mask wearing, social distancing, and regular testing. It's going to be interesting to see. I don't know how many of the on-air national uh, employees at Fox News are vaccinated. I know Sean Hannity is, Laura Ingramar. I'm not sure about Tucker Carlson or any of the others. I know there are several who are rabidly opposed to vaccines. going to be interested to see. What happens? Because most of those that are on air on the national shows, they're going to be vaxxed, according to this memo. Our final story today, it's about Nancy Pelosi. Her majority is falling apart. Three vulnerable Democrats announced they will not be seeking re-election to the House of Representatives 
and those three announced within 24 hours of each other. That brings the total of House Democrats not seeking re-election up to 23. Representative Albio Cerez of New Jersey, Stephanie Murphy of Florida, Chairwoman of the House Appropriations Subcommittee overseeing immigration issues, Representative Lucille Robal Allard, Allard from California, announced they're not going to run for re-election. Cyrus became the 21st Democrat to bow out when he confirmed to the New Jersey Globe that he's not going to seek re-election. He's going to make an official announcement before the end of the year. Cyrus is in a solidly blue district. The announcement came as the state's legislative redistricting commission has been considering new maps to approve. However, his open seat would reportedly not affect the outcome. During his time in Congress, he's been a close confidant to Speaker Pelosi and to President Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. Now that he is the president, voting with Pelosi 100% of the time in the current Congress to help pass partisan agenda items. Murphy became the 22nd one. They're all throwing in the hat. They're throwing it in, folks. Throwing in the towel, not the hat. They're throwing it in. They see what's coming down the pike. And they know that it ain't going to be good, not just for regular, everyday, normal Democrats, but for anybody, anybody that is registered as a Democrat and as a member of Congress. It looks like, especially in the House, you want to get reelected, you got a tough road to hoe. Wow, what a day. What a day. Thank you for being here today and sharing with us and Thank you for excusing the technical issues. We're going to be back every day this week. Again, a real special day on Friday. You don't want to miss the show, so plan on it. Any show you miss, you can grab it at Apple Podcast, also Spotify Podcast, and Google Podcast. Just do the search, TNN Live. They're all right there. Have a great Tuesday. We'll see you here, 9 a.m. Central Time tomorrow morning at TNN Live. And oh, Merry Christmas, y'all. Holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Lord, more